All right. Well, good morning. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's too early in the morning. Uh, drummers are not even legally allowed to be up at this time of morning, but uh, I am for y'all um, and actually for the sea turtles. So I am currently driving in my car along the Gulf of Mexico on this little strip of road that is uh, barely large enough to fit two cars in some places and um, heading towards an area of the beach where a sea turtle was spotted nesting last night. And so the plan here is to move forward and try to uh, preserve and protect the nest, which is an interesting and important part of sea turtle conservation. Uh, so I am here with some people from Moat Marine Laboratory, which is uh, an amazing place, organization, call it what you will. And um, I'm currently pulling a U-turn to park, and then we're going to go save some sea turtles and, and do some work and talk about it. So really excited to to be here and be doing all of this. The estimate that's often used is one in a thousand will make it from hatchling to adulthood. I think that's probably too high. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a passion for animal conservation. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, and conservation organizations. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, anyone who can help me in my mission of connecting my people to animals through their people. Join me on my raw safari. Hi. Hi there. Hello. Welcome to the first episode featuring in-situ conservation work of the Rossafari podcast. Now, let me be clear, y'all. You have heard a lot of episodes of this podcast featuring in-situ conservation work. But the difference here is that this interview is being brought to you from the field as the work is being done. This is a very cool and very different episode than anything you have heard to this point. We're going to start off with some very, uh, you know, basic reminders, though. Make sure you're following along on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, at Rossafari, on TikTok, at Pod, And, um, you know, make sure you've hit the subscribe button, if you haven't yet, so that you get two episodes a week uh, automatically downloading to your podcast app. Beyond that, you can always go to patreon.com slash rossafari to get some uh, cool perks by supporting the pod financially. And don't forget, rossafari.com is out there. There's actually going to be a pretty cool refresh coming soon with some uh, new exciting things y'all might be interested in, but uh, I'm, I'm going to wait to announce that. And hey, last but not least, a friendly reminder, it's been a minute, if you could go, especially if you're doing iTunes or the Apple Podcast app to listen to this, and give me a five-star rating, it really helps. And if you could take a couple seconds and write a review, it helps even more. I only recently found out that, um, you know, I'm in the United States, and I can only see the ratings and reviews, even though it's my podcast from the States. I found out that I have reviews and ratings in Australia recently, and I'm, I'm guessing that I, I do in other countries too, but I can't see them. Regardless of whether I can see them or not, though, it really helps people in whatever country you're in find the podcast if you take the time to do that. It is a great way to support me and my mission that takes very little time and costs you nothing. So uh, if you would consider doing that, I would super appreciate it. And hey, if you're in a country and you have done ratings or reviews or have seen my ratings and reviews, take a screenshot and message it to me, uh, rossafaripod at gmail.com or just, you know, DM me on any of the aforementioned social medias. I I'm really excited to know that there are more of those things out there than I realized. Thank you. Okay, so today's episode is coming to you from Moat Marine Lab. Well, 
It's not, though. That's a lie. It is coming to you from the Gulf of Mexico, where I went out with Melissa Bernhardt to find some sea turtle nests, mark them off, get some stats, and and do some sea turtle conservation work. It was a really cool experience, but uh, I want to start off by explaining a little bit about what moat is, because over the next couple of months, you are going to hear three different episodes from moat, and None of them are going to sound like each other. This isn't one of those things where I interview two keepers from the same zoo and you get some different stories and some of the same ideas all at once. Moat is a fascinating place. To start with, the main moat buildings that you can go to are two aquariums that also have a bunch of research centers in them. But they have non-releasable sea turtles that you can get ridiculously close to. It is magical. They have otters and gators and fish and, you know, other turtles, all the cool stuff that aquariums have, and, and they're just kind of a normal aquarium that way. Well, I don't know I'd call it normal. It's it's pretty special. Um, they even have a preserved giant squid that you can see, and I got to tell you, that is a sight, man. That is That is different than, I don't even know what I expected, but that was not it. It was fascinating to see one of those in person. Beyond the two buildings of moat at what most people think of as moat, they also have a separate campus devoted entirely to research that is closed to the public, but open to listeners of the Rasafari podcast because I will be bringing you an episode from there, and then another one in Key West. On top of that, they are also opening Another huge aquarium in downtown Sarasota, right next to the mall where I like went and got my haircut and, you know, visited the Apple store and stuff. This is an amazing, amazing organization that is so heavily involved in marine research, in helping stem problems with the red tide and with climate change and with sea turtle recovery. And it's just all this amazing stuff. Plus, it's an aquarium. It is, uh, Moat is the coolest. Moat is absolutely the coolest place. And speaking of things that are super cool, I have to stop here to give super props to Stephanie Kettle, the public relations manager at Moat Marine Laboratory and Aquarium. Stephanie was one of the most amazing contacts I have ever had the privilege of working with on this podcast. She not only set me up with this incredible in-situ interview, but also with two other really amazing ones that I'll be bringing you down the road a little bit. And honestly, if we hadn't run out of time because of the whole, you know, me leaving to come to Vermont thing, I think we would have done more. There is so much going on at Moat. Stephanie is so proud of it. And she was so encouraging and, and so passionate about my mission um, that she just, she hooked it up. This has been... One of the best experiences. So, Stephanie, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much. But Stephanie is not who you will be hearing from today. Um, you will be hearing from Melissa Bernhardt, who is a sea turtle senior biologist and conservation manager at Moat. She's the one that actually, like, you know, did all the work in the field while I asked questions and danced around excitedly because I get really excited during this episode. So today you're going to get to hear all about what it's like going out and staking off these sea turtle nests, finding them, figuring out what we can figure out from them, and uh, taking data collection, how the night team works, how the day team works. It The manpower that goes into this is astonishing. I am so excited to bring all of this to you. And as many of you know, sea turtles are the OG species that I loved and one of my big four still. So you can just imagine how it felt to actually be out there on the shores of the Gulf of Mexico with someone actively working to save the species. It was magical. Um, the whole interview takes place using my little mini recorder. There is, you're going to hear the Gulf. You're going to hear, you know, some variations of sound as uh, Melissa's working and I'm hopping around. Um, but it's just cool. To you, I really hope that it feels like you are there with me because being there was amazing. So I'm going to drop in a quick ad here and then we'll get to the interview. Today's episode is brought to you by Daydreamer Studios. Do you have stories and expertise to share with the world? 
Have you ever thought about starting your own podcasts? There's no better time to start than now with the help of a trusted production partner. Daydreamer Studios is a full-service production company that takes all the stress off your plate. You can focus on creating engaging content while they focus on recording, editing, audio engineering, hosting, and publishing on 22 platforms. Log into the advanced remote system with one click and the Daydreamer team will be on the other end ready for you to record everything you have to say. Owned and operated by Daydreamer Network, Daydreamer Studios continues on the company's mission to empower storytellers of all kinds by making podcasting accessible to all. For more information and current promotions, visit daydreamernetwork.com slash studios. All right, y'all, it's time. Let's go celebrate some uh, sea turtle rehabilitation, learn some fascinating facts about one of my favorite animals, and uh, hey, if nothing else, kick back and listen to the waves floating by. It's a good time, y'all. Here is my interview with Melissa Bernhardt of Moat Marine Laboratory and Aquarium. All right, so uh, where are we right now? We are on Casey Key, which is an island in Sarasota County and on the Gulf Coast of Florida. And what are we doing here? We are on a, one of our morning surveys for sea turtle patrol. Um, we're looking for any new nests that were laid last night or um, anything that's happened to any of the existing nests, whether that's a hatch or a predator activity or anything like that. Very good. And um, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, my name's Melissa Bernhard. Um, I am a senior biologist and the conservation manager for the uh, Sea Turtle Conservation and Research Program at Moat Marine Laboratory and Aquarium. Amazing. Oh, sea turtles. Yes. <laughs> One of my faves. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, it's very uh, beachy here, very sandy. Yes. <laughs> whole, lot of, whole lot of gulf water happening. <laughs> um, yeah, this is pretty exciting. So, how do you, how does this work? Explain to me and to my listeners how y'all find these these nests and and how you know that this happens. Yeah, so every morning during the sea turtle nesting season, which in our area is April 15th through October 31st, we patrol like we're doing right now at the waterline where we can see any spot where a female sea turtle has emerged from the water. So when we find one, I'll show you. But it looks a little bit like a tractor crawled out of the ocean. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, and so they're pretty obvious once you know what you're looking for. Uh, and from that we can determine whether she nested or not, the species of turtle that she is. And um, if it is a nest, stake it off appropriately and collect the data that we need for it. That is awesome. And um, do, so turtles normally nest overnight, right? Is that... Is yeah, that most correct? species. Mostly, yeah, I know, right, I know, yeah, I know some. Some don't. I actually just saw an article yesterday about a turtle that nested during the day and people decided to ride it. Oh, no. I don't like people. <laughs> I, I like I like some people, but, you know, yeah. Um, yeah, that's a no-no. Yeah, no, so, yeah, yeah, quick, quick, uh, quick hint to my listeners. If you see a sea turtle nesting on the beach, don't ride it. <clears throat> feel like I don't really have to say that to any of you, but uh, just in case, you know. <laughs> Uh, leave, leave the nesting sea turtle alone. And so why is it so important uh, to do this? So all species of sea turtle uh, in the U.S. are either threatened or endangered, which means that their populations have been in trouble uh, since the Endangered Species Act went into play back in the 70s. So we are part of the conservation efforts to protect those uh, species by protecting their nests and collecting data on how many are nesting and how successful those nests are to try to assess how the populations are recovering, if they're recovering, if they're still in decline, that sort of thing. Makes sense. And uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about the basics of sea turtle nesting and kind of the numbers and, and how all of this works, if, if, if possible. Not like exact numbers, but like does a sea turtle nest 12 times a year? Does it do it once? Do, do they lay an egg? Do they lay a lot of eggs? Like, very generally, but how does that, how does that work? Yeah, so for loggerhead sea turtles, which are the species we primarily have nesting here, um, 
they don't nest every single year. A female turtle will take um, a year or two off in between each nesting season that she participates in. And she um, will lay between three and seven-ish nests that season. Okay. So, um, and each nest has about 100 eggs on average. So she puts a lot of effort into that single nesting season, which is why she then takes two or three years to migrate back to her foraging grounds, refuel herself, get her next season's worth ready, and then migrate back in, you know, two years or so. Right, right. Cool. And we'll get back to stats in a minute, but we just found something. Yes, we did. So what did, what did we just find? <laughs> so here we have um, what's called the in crawl of a loggerhead sea turtle, and we can see where she crawled out of the ocean. Um, she's fairly small for sea turtles as far as they go. Um, probably about 200 pounds, which is large for turtles, but medium-sized to small for sea turtles. Um, so she's got about a two to three foot wide crawl that comes out of the ocean with her alternating gait. And she crawled up and it looks like she probably nested at the apex of it. Nice. And you can just read all of that from what looks like somebody dragged something through the sand slightly. That's impressive. <laughs> yeah. That's we get a impressive. lot of calls about, you missed a nest and it's just a cooler drag. Um, <laughs> so, yes, they do look similar to cooler drags and chair drags, but they do leave very distinct flipper patterns. No, yeah, they do. It's really cool to see yeah. that. That's so cool. Um, and is that how you can tell, like, what species it is? Yep, you and can then... tell just from the crawl what species right. it That's is. That's so cool. Awesome. All right, and so what's next? Talk me through what we're doing. So we're going to head up to where I believe the nest is. It looks like our nighttime tagging crew was here last night and saw her. Um, so uh, they got some cool data on her as well as part of our mark recapture nice. uh, studies, too. So we then set off up the beach, walking up following the path, making sure not to disturb it. Mainly, I think, just because we thought it was pretty, because it would clearly be disturbed when other people came to the beach. Until we got to the absolute top of the path, right by the seawall, where we encountered an actual sea turtle nest. Wow. So this is where the nest was laid, and... Um, it's got that extra stake there because the, the taggers were here right, and they right. saw her. So that's, this nest is going to be special for us as part of a couple different research projects based on the, um, what the taggers were able to see. And as well as being just part of our general understanding of how well Casey Key did in nesting this year. So it'll Very be cool. a, good, a good nest for us. That's awesome. And so this is loggerhead, you said. Yes. But there are also um, some other species that'll nest here a lot less frequently. But um, you guys uh, get uh, green sea turtles. And then um, how about uh, like Kemp's Ridley? We have had a few Kemp's Ridleys. Okay. Um, every few years we probably get one. Okay. I'd say in our history we probably have 15 total Kemp's Ridley nests. So it's not a huge part of what we do, but sure. they do happen. And how about leatherback? We have had some leatherback nests. And again, it's, I think, total we've had five. Okay. And okay. it was yeah, in yeah. two two separate years. So, wow. Um, and, Interesting. And none of them have hatched, so it's we're not hugely important on the leatherback nesting scene, gotcha. <laughs> which is fine with me because they're massive turtles and so they make big. a big mess on the beach and it's a lot <laughs> more difficult to interpret than what this lovely loggerhead did for us. Very so. cool. Very cool. <laughs> yeah. Those noises that you were hearing, the clunking, was Melissa putting down her tools and starting her work as we kept speaking. Apparently she was missing part of her back flipper as well, Aww. which is not uncommon, I would say. So, um, so then when people find, when, when the team finds the nest, they leave you a little note, right? A yeah, little so official a carbon copy of their data sheet so okay. that I can, if I need to, uh, understand some of what happened or so we can keep this paired with our nesting data sheet. Okay. Um, and then in the data they're tied together, which is nice. Fascinating. This mm -hmm. is really impressive. Yeah. And so each one of these stakes out here also is another nest that right. was laid at some point this it, season. It, it looks like there has been a lot of nest laying happening. Yes. <laughs> I mean, as, uh, for my listeners, as I'm, I'm looking down the beach, I can't even count the number of marked off nests that I'm seeing. It's, it's literally every five feet, sometimes less. 
And that gives me a lot of hope, even though I know the species, you know, a nest doesn't necessarily mean it's going to do well. And (laughs) we'll talk about that in a minute. But yeah, yeah, no, that's really cool. Yeah. And um, we're on Casey Key, which is our densest nesting beach that we cover. Um, And like I said, we're on the Gulf Coast, which is not the major nesting ground for sea turtles in Florida. The East Coast has probably 10 times the nesting. So they don't even stake every nest there because they can't it's just too many um but here we stake everything so you can see where every nest has been laid so far this year it's stunning yeah (laughs) and it's also stunning to sit here and and look at these massive houses there's a house that we are in front of right now that has a waterfall y'all they have (laughs) a waterfall um and some famous people have some houses down here and uh it's like really cool this juxtaposition of of the the big houses and the wealth and then the beach with all the sea turtleness and it's just it's just really exciting so since this is part of our sample and research um taking a measurement to the top egg of the nest oh my goodness okay uh, which is right here so you can actually dig right down in there we don't do it for every nest, and we right. only do it for the ones that are part of uh, the research projects. And um, so we know exactly where the eggs are, but also we can get an initial depth measurement. Um, so if I can actually find the egg, that's helpful. But it's right here. And the eggs are uh, not what most people think of when they think of eggs, um, because I think most people think of chicken eggs. Yeah. (laughs) These are um, perfectly round and spherical, and about exact um, mimics of ping pong balls, actually. Oh, wow. Uh, They don't have, like, a hard shell like a chicken egg either. You can't, like, crack it on, like, the edge of a counter. Right. They're more, got to have a little more give to it. Um, So there's that egg if you want to see it not that the listeners can oh my gosh guys i'm looking at a sea turtle egg for those who have been listening for a while you know what this means to me right now this is oh that's so cool that's so cool sea turtles were my first animal love um the first time i saw a sea turtle at an aquarium that was it that was it everything (laughs) everything changed immediately and i just yes this is this is a big deal this is a real big deal. Awesome. Well, I'm happy to help. Thank you. <laughs> so, now that I've done that, I'm going to immediately cover it back up and leave the rest of them, or all of them, completely alone. And we'll just use that to mark where they are so I don't lose them. <laughs> there. There. Because, um, yeah, they, part of their whole nesting process involves throwing the sand over it in a way that disguises the nest site. Right. Particularly from predators, but they're also successful at disguising it from sea turtle patrollers as well. <laughs> so sometimes uh, they are more frustrating than others. <laughs> Fair. So what, um, what can you tell me about, well, first of all, because not everybody is here, and this is an audio medium, yes. describe what what these nest markings look like. Like what if, if somebody comes to the beach for the first time, how will they know that they're seeing a sea turtle nest once you've been here and done your thing? So the nests that are staked by us are just boring, basic yellow stakes. Um, we have codes written on them that basically just identify which nest it is so that we can determine which nest it ties to because I don't have these all memorized, unfortunately. Fair. Um, so we've got the nest code ID on the on the stake. So if something happens, we can go into the database and say, this nest had a hatch or this nest had a raccoon dig into it or this nest washed out during the hurricane or whatever right. it is. So um, that's most of it. Then we tie the stakes together with a bright pink um, flagging tape. So they just look like yellow toothpicks with pink dental floss between them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's a good description, yeah. Um and and really all of this, all of this is built on uh community participation and willingness to 
be a part of this because sea turtles can have misdirection happen from normal light sources that we use electric light. Um, and basically what that means is they will, um, uh, when they hatch or even sometimes when they're nesting, they can be distracted by lights and not go to the right place. Especially the hatchlings might end up not going to the ocean, which is kind of important for sea turtles. Um, but we found that there are certain like alternate types of lighting, uh, red lights and stuff like that, that will, um, not distract the turtles. So people who live long here, I believe we've had laws passed down here, correct? To Yes, we have know, ordinances. Ordinances. Okay. Okay. So that every all of the outdoor lighting down here is is sea turtle friendly or is supposed to be. Um supposed to be. Yeah, supposed <laughs> to be. And when you're walking along the beach, if you're going to use a flashlight or something at night, you need to have like a red filter over it, right? Is that the, the basic um, idea? Or you really shouldn't use a light. Yeah, but... we prefer that people don't even use a light. Right. And I've actually found that it's contrary to what you would think. It's easier to see without any light than it is with a flashlight of any sort. Because the flashlight, whether it's white or red, illuminates the area right next to you really well. But your distance vision is gone. Whereas if you don't use any light at all and you're just using the moon or the ambient sky glow for right. example um you can see better distances um, but we also try to actually discourage people from going out at night because nesting turtles and hatchlings are easily disturbed and so we would hate for someone who's just trying to you know witness nature to actually cause more harm to the the nesting turtles or the hatchlings absolutely um, good so. to know if you want to see turtles, go to an aquarium that has them. Yeah, do you know any good ones that, that might have, <laughs> I, I especially can, places that you could get up close I can to think of one, yeah, off the top of my head. <laughs> <laughs> but during our hatching season, sometimes our hatchlings that are having problems end up in our hatchling hospital, which part of it is visible from the aquarium. So we do have a tank with hatchlings in it that are waiting to be released, um, which is a great way to see hatchlings because they're just recovering. Right. And they are stupidly adorable. I was there two days ago, <laughs> and there are three adorable. on exhibit right now, and it is, it is dumb how cute they are. It should not be legal. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And those are just the loggerheads. The other species, the hatchlings, I find, are even more adorable. Oh, wow. Um, because the, the greens have very long flippers, so they're, oh, even as so hatchlings, cute. they're a little <laughs> flimsy, <laughs> clumsier. Right, well, eventually that will lock in the satellites I need, but for now. So, uh, what what can you tell me what that is? Yeah, so I am collecting mostly um, locational data for okay. this. So I've got my GPS that is trying to find satellites. We're right against the seawall, so it takes a little bit longer um, sometimes for that. And I've got I'm going to take a measurement for how far out of the water she crawled because we want to know what percentage of the beach she actually utilized on this emergence, um, which is most of All it because she's yeah, right against much. the seawall. Yeah, yeah. um, <laughs> and then I've also got um, basic, um, like the address that we're in front of. Uh, the state has divided the shoreline into thousand foot segments. So I've got which one of those it's in. Um, it's almost all about the location of this exact nest, as well as the species, the date. Right, right. Uh, basic things like that as well. Cool. This has found them, so I'm going to write this down really quick if I can get it to there we go oh, so. but aside from the data sheet all that's left is really staking it off and and then that's that's a nest that's amazing and then we do however many more <laughs> <laughs> so what can you tell me um about like so we said the, the, there will be hundreds of eggs and yet sea turtles are incredibly endangered. And assuming that like, this is somebody's first time hearing this, that might sound a little confusing. How is that possible if there are nests as far as the eyes can see and hundreds of turtles' eggs in each? I would estimate that there are 1,000 sea turtle eggs on this beach that I can see right now. Not the eggs, but, you know, from marked off and stuff. Um, so how are they so endangered? What, how, what can you tell me about that whole thing and, and turtle mortality? Yeah, sea turtles take the ecological um, philosophy of just put as many out and see what happens. Hope for the best. <laughs> um, which 
is an option. It's not what humans do. Um, <laughs> can you imagine? Uh, but so what they do is, like I said, they'll lay, let's say on average, 500 nests in a season because we'll, we'll pick five nests for a year and 100 eggs in each of those nests. Um, the mortality of those eggs is, is not great. Um, the estimate that's often used is one in a thousand will make it from hatchling to adulthood. Um, I think that's probably too high. Wow. Uh, they, there's just a ton of obstacles for them. The eggs themselves are apparently very delicious for raccoons um, and armadillos and coyotes. We have a lot of predator problems uh, here, and there are other predators we don't have here, thankfully, but that do also enjoy turtle eggs in other parts of the world. Um, feral hogs, foxes, etc. Pretty much anything that will eat an egg will eat an egg. Right. Um, and then the hatchlings are the size of about the palm of your hand. So almost anything that can eat something that small will eat something that small. Uh, so once they get into the ocean, there are birds, there are fish, there are sharks, there are who knows what um, that will eat them. And they're small and trying to swim and navigate in the giant ocean as well. Um, and then there are the human-involved problems as well. So artificial lighting is actually a big one that people don't really think about, but you were talking about it earlier with the, the lights. And as hatchlings, they crawl out of the nest, and the first thing that their body knows to do is to navigate towards the ocean or towards the area that is the brightest horizon around them or away from the darkest horizon, whichever way you want to think about it. Um, and on a natural beach, even if there's no moon... The dune is darker than the ocean. The ocean is shimmery and reflective, and that's what draws them to them. So that's the problem with artificial lighting. Draws them to the condo, to the pool, to the street light, wherever it is, where they can more easily be found by predators, where they can fall into their own peril, where they um, just exhaust themselves without making it to the ocean. So um, there's a lot of hatchling mortality on that side of things, too. And then as they get bigger, boats... Plastic pollution. Well, plastic is a problem from tiny right. size, but um, but boat strikes become a problem for adults too. So, um, and they have no parental care at all. They have no one to teach them how to be a successful turtle. So, it's there's not a lot that make it the whole way. Right. Yeah, makes sense. Um, when y'all take in hatchlings um, and and kind of give them a head start when when you have those moments. Um, Is there anything that you're able to do to, I don't know, teach them to turtle or is it just let them live and and they they let their instincts take over? I I don't think that we could teach them things there. Um, Without being mean, they're not really the brightest of animals. They don't have like a big cognitive function part of their brain. Um, The brain of the adult is about the size of your thumb. Oh, Uh, so not great because it's a large animal (laughs) yes and their heads are huge and everyone you know you think oh my gosh they've got these giant heads they must be brilliant but most of their head is muscle Um, (laughs) i know a few humans that are like that yeah (laughs) (laughs) so especially loggerheads that's why they're called loggerheads because they have giant heads that are full of muscle and if you look at a loggerhead skull legally um you can see the big huge openings that look like they should be for brain that's all jaw muscle attachment and then in the center there's a tiny little one that's like the size of your thumb right and that's where their brain actually i have i have seen loggerhead skulls and i i did not know that that's actually really interesting like i knew they weren't the the brightest animal but i didn't realize it was quite that that was what they're working yeah And, and even the adults are you know they're driven by instinct what we see turtles that are you know, missing flippers that are still, you know, going through the digging process with the little nub that's left. Right. Um, they'll just plow right over whatever. That one ran over that nest sake and had no qualms about it. <laughs> um, they, that's why they get stuck in beach furniture a lot because they're just doing their thing and that's in their way. So right. um, they sense. get stuck under the beach furniture and hopefully they don't drag it into the ocean and with them and cause problems right. that way. But... Um, yeah, so they'll flap right against a seawall, hit it, and turn around sometimes. So they just, they're, they're not using a lot of thinking. It's right. all instinct. This is what my body tells me to do, so that's what I'm doing. Makes sense, makes sense. But they do have personalities or turtle-wilities. I don't know. They, <laughs> they have their own preferences, and um, 
like this turtle nested here, that one nested there, and that one nested way down by the water. Right. Who's right? I don't know. <laughs> right, right. So. Um, yeah, I've often thought, and I, I, this is going to be a weird question, but I've, I've thought this from observing other turtles, not, not sea turtles uh, as much, but that turtles don't know that they have shells, that they think that they are the size of their, their head, roughly. Because I have seen on exhibit and, and, you know, pet turtles and all kinds of stuff where they will try to swim or try to walk, depending on what kind of turtle we're talking about, <laughs> through a space that is the size of their head. And they literally seem to not understand, and they will just keep going, like you said, and keep trying for, like, quite a while. I don't know. This is just something I have seen. Maybe this is goofy. I don't know if you have thoughts on this. I'm a goofy person. <laughs> yeah. But I've, I've often thought that, like, turtles literally don't realize. I know that they know that they have it as, like, a protective thing. But, like, they don't realize that they're as big as they are when they're trying to move through spaces. I think that's probably true. I don't know that I know of research to support right, that, right. but it, like I said, they kind of just plow where they want to go. And if they can't do it, then at least for sea turtles, they'll turn around and leave. Gotcha. Um, I've seen box turtles in particular, literally just like, keep trying, keep yeah. trying. It's like, dude, you don't, you don't fit through the <laughs> yeah. space. But they can feel through their shell. They're very right. tactile. Right. So they'll, they'll rub on things and like scratch or whatever through their shell. And, and sea turtles use it, use their size in the ocean to help them when they're like taking a nap, for example. You never think of like, where does a turtle sleep? Because right. there's not beds in the ocean. So they'll go and take a breath and then go down and like wedge themselves under something that will hold them in place. So they definitely know how to do that and right. must know their size enough to squeeze under something and not fully get stuck under it. Um, Cause then she'll need another breath or he'll need another breath and we'll have to go back up and take one and then go down and wedge under somewhere else if they're still tired. Yeah, so. that makes sense. I know that a lot of turtles with bubble butt that are in captivity also do that so that they, they have a place where they can stick yeah. their butt to not float up. Yeah. yeah it's, it's cool to see. So. Very cool. Yeah. At this point, Melissa had to use all of her brain to do some paperwork stuff and science-y stuff. And so uh, I wandered down to the water and um, I just started kind of rapping because I was uh, really feeling everything that was happening that day. It's crazy to think I have a, a belief and a philosophy and I, I like to laugh every time I stand in the ocean. I, I like to think about the fact that... Um, I could be standing in sea turtle pee right in that moment, which is a weird thought. And obviously it's super diluted, but it makes me happy because I'm a weirdo. And um, it's just crazy to think that like this amazing, you know, process that's been happening for, gosh, I need to look up how long, but sea turtles are prehistoric. It's time for... Interrupting, 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 interrupting John. Mm. 110 million years. That's right, y'all. The sea turtles that we know today came from a common ancestor roughly 110 million years ago. That evolution then changed into four different families of marine turtles. Okay, back to my random beachside ramblings as I stood with my toes in the Gulf of Mexico, thinking about turtle pee, because I'm a weirdo. Uh, there were versions of sea turtles that were around in the dinosaur era, and, um, and this has been happening on these beaches this whole time, and it's magical and amazing, and it's the same places that then... People come and run and play and set up their beach chairs and go swimming. And, you know, in a couple of hours, this beach is going to be filled with people. And there was a person walking their dog that walked right past all the work we're doing here. And it's, it's actually a really hopeful and positive thing to be standing here thinking about the fact that we are finding a way, thanks to people like the sea turtle team at Moat, uh, to coexist and to, to make this work. I mean, obviously, sea turtles are endangered. We need to do better um, as a species, and we need more amazing people like the team at Moat. But it's really amazing to be standing here at the water and realizing that, you know, 
this is such a great example of where prehistory and history, uh, or modern history as we put it, uh, collide and, and come together and, and there are steps being taken to preserve both sides of it. I don't know. I think it's pretty fascinating. So after I had all of those wonderful thoughts and let you into my head for a minute, and um, for those of you that haven't <laughs> completely given up on me being a weirdo and run off to um, find a podcast with a more sane host, it was then time to start staking the area around the turtle nest to let people know it was there and to not step on it. So do you need, um, what, what kind of, what do you need to be allowed to be a person who's doing what you're doing right now? That's an excellent question. Um, I am permitted through the state of Florida and holds a permit from Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission. Um, in order to get a permit, you have to have years of experience and pass a test and all sorts of things. Um, we have a lot of requirements under the permit for how things are done, why things are done, which things are not allowed to be done, etc. So, um, and then at the end of the season, all the data collected under that permit has to get submitted to them. Okay. Basically proof cool. of following directions. Right, right. Makes sense. <laughs> and then they can use those data as well to do the statewide assessment of sea turtles because we only have this little area and turtles cover much more than 35 miles in their <laughs> lifetime. <laughs> even as adults. So um, they look, can look at it at a, at a much bigger scale, which is better for understanding the recovery of the species or the, the lack of, depending on what's happening. So. But yes, permits are essential. Very cool. And so let's say that you're, you're a person who's out walking the beach at night or early morning or just living your life. Mm -hmm. And, um, well, first of all, let's say that you see, we're going to go through three scenarios. Let's say that you see, like you said, a cooler trail with flipper markings. Um, <laughs> what do you do? Who do you, who do you let know? How do you know? What, what can you do to help? Um, so we survey, uh, every morning of the nesting season, uh, every square inch of beach wow. that we cover. So, um, we usually can find it, right. um, and we don't rely on public notification. However, they're welcome to let us know, especially if they see one and it's later in the day and we have, it hasn't been uh, dealt with yet. Uh, we may just be really busy and not have gotten to it, but you, they can always tell us and we can figure it out from there, because sometimes things do get missed. I mean, it's a lot to do. And, oh, yeah. No. Uh, <laughs> some of them are a lot less obvious than this. Um, there are some areas where the sand is really hard, so they don't push into it as much just little scratchings um so yeah they can always call us and let us know and, and we'll figure out if we've already taken care of it or not um i think that's what you asked yeah okay. <laughs> perfect no perfect and then um uh you know scenario number two again i know we don't want to encourage people to be out looking or out on the beach but we also know that people, people will, will go for yep. nighttime walks it's a thing yep um so step number one, no cell phone light, no cell phone, nothing, stay off the dang thing. But beyond that, again, let's say, let's say that you're there and you see a sea turtle and you decide not to ride it because you're not a horrible human being. Um, what, uh, what, what should you do in that situation? Um, stay behind her. Uh, they can see better than you probably can, um, but their vision isn't great, but they can see movement and light, especially if it's an unfamiliar one to them, it can startle them, um, which can cause the female to abandon her nesting attempt, which is called a false crawl or a non-nesting emergence. Um, it does happen for other reasons as well. It's not just because people were out there, but it can be increased if people are around. So if you see a nesting turtle, stay still, quiet, no lights, even red ones turn off any light that you have and stay behind her where she's, you can't see you in, your in her peripheral. Um, she'll crawl up if she nests, that's awesome. You can watch it peacefully from a distance, quietly. Let her crawl away normally, don't ride her. <laughs> All of the above. <laughs> um, and then again, we'll be out there in the morning or someone, right. wherever you happen to be, will be out there in the morning and will probably uh, document it the way that they do it. Cool, and then number three. What do you do if you see hatchlings? Other than squeal and delight. 
<laughs> it's kind of the same thing. Um, hatchlings are also covered under the Endangered Species Act. Believe it or not, they are part of the same species, so they're also <laughs> protected. Um, so it's just as illegal to harass and um, interfere with hatchlings as it is a nesting female. It's a lot harder to ride a hatchling, so that doesn't happen as often. Um, but a lot of people will pick them up thinking they're doing the right thing, taking them to the water. Uh, as long as the beach is dark, they should be able to find the water on their own naturally. Um, if you're out there and you see them going the wrong direction, the best thing to do is call, if you're in the state of Florida, call the Fish and Wildlife. Um, they have a hotline for wildlife alert and they should be able to instruct you what to do but you should not just go gathering hatchlings on your own whim right because again they, that's just as illegal as riding a sea turtle down the beach and i think that's really important to to say it that way because i don't think most people that would do that are doing it to be right. bad. i think they're trying to be helpful i think you know 15-year-old John would pick up every baby sea turtle and try to put it in the water because I think I was doing a good job, you know? Right. And, and so it is kind of... I, I feel like humans sometimes have a bit of a, uh, a, a savior thing, you yeah. know? And, um, yeah, but just leave them alone. Call the authorities if you see something, like you said, if they're going the wrong way or something. And I would um, say, especially in the United States, at least, I said that very Southern, in the U.S., um, <laughs> That most of the harassments of sea turtles are people trying to do the right thing and not realizing they're doing the wrong thing. Right. Um, in other places, there's more problems with poaching and, and bad things like sure. that. Which we, they, there are cases of that in the U.S. as well, but it's a mu much lower. Um, but I think a lot of people think they're doing the right thing and can actually cause more harm mm -hmm. to them. And so that's why it's best to call someone who has a permit or someone or, or the people who issue the permit is at best and they will determine what action is best for you know what what situation you're going right. on and if they at that point decide to tell you what to do then they might do that but i wouldn't take it upon yourself to try anything without for any species that's right right, right, right. You know. no, we're not just talking yeah. yeah yeah but most of the situations that we have locally of things that go wrong are people trying to do the right thing that don't have the education to realize they're doing the wrong thing. Right. Makes sense. Um, and then last question that I have for you about all of this, if I may, mm -hmm. is um, just flit it out of my brain. I love when that happens. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> all good. This is why we edit the podcast. 25 um, to 30 years. No, is that not your question? 25 okay. to 30 years to you too. What, I don't, I don't <laughs> That's know. how long it takes a hatchling to become a mature oh. adult. No, no, no? yeah. Okay. I, 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 yeah. Um, it's a common question. So. It makes sense. No, good, 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 <laughs> good one, good one. Um, and yeah. I remembered the question that I had. Perfect. So how do you determine or who determines when you, and again, when I say you, I'm speaking very specifically you, yeah. moat, the, the places that are allowed to do this. Cannot stress that enough. Mm -hmm. Um take in a turtle uh, especially a, a juvenile a baby um like how do you have hatchlings at moat right now so most of the ones that we bring to moat are um from some of them are from those excavations that i was telling you about right. where they um were still in the nest and they have an injury uh, if their flipper was wrapped in roots for example they don't quite have the mobility yet um or a predator has gotten into them right before they were going to hatch where they're actually you know full hatchlings not eggs still right. Um, and has caused some damage or most common is probably from the disorientations from the artificial lights telling them to go the wrong direction hatchling ends up in swimming pool at that point the hatchling has gone through what's called its swim frenzy which is the first 72 ish hours once it gets into the ocean it just swims constantly to get out to the weed line okay. as quickly as it can and so once it's gone through that you can't release it on the beach because it won't swim gotcha makes sense it will right. kind of do more floaty yeah. things so the ones that are in the tank at moat have gone through those so that swim frenzy and they're there floating around in they're the tank yeah. yeah and so they get released out offshore right. so they don't have to swim where they where they won't swim awesome so yeah that makes a lot of that's sense that's probably what what most of them are from cool it's time now don't you know we've come to the end of the show but there's one tale left to go. You're gonna laugh and say, oh no. 
It's time for the Rossifari poop story. Um, I don't have turtle poop uh, stories. Poop story. But um, we, at the end of Nest's lives, uh, the ones that are part of our research or sample groups, we do what's called an excavation where we inventory the nest contents. Um, and that happens no sooner than probably about 50 days into incubation. It can be as late as 80 days into incubation. Um, and just imagine if you took the eggs out of your fridge and put them outside in your backyard for 50 days. Um, so they're, they're very stinky and unpleasant. And like I said, they don't have a hard shell. Right, right. Um, so it's just kind of a leathery membrane almost. Oh, okay. So if you push it, it will pop. And if you're pulling these rotten eggs out of the nest at, to count them, um, there are multiple times where they, oh. my finger has gone through um, a few eggs. Oh. Just by the motion of, of digging them out of the right, ground right. As, as part of the permitted excavation, I right, should right. say. Um, yeah, and the hatchlings themselves, uh, we find live ones in the nest sometimes, and they're head first and dead rotten eggs sometimes, and oh. flippers into their dead brethren. So, um, especially after a hurricane comes by during hatching season two, if there are a bunch of hatchlings that were ready to hatch and the hurricane washes over them and they all drown in the nest before they get out um, which happens sometimes then you get all of that so lovely not poop but no, but, but very gross but i would argue grosser than yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Than, okay. than turtle poop all right well thank you very much for yeah. talking me through this and let me come out here this has been really thrilling awesome So literally, the day that I started putting this episode together for y'all, I got an email from Moat, the Moat Insider, which I guess I get because I'm a member there, because I went that many times when I was in Sarasota. And um, they just had 27 loggerhead sea turtle hatchlings found disoriented in a longboat key pool. So they rescued all 27 loggerheads and uh, brought them to the Hatchling Hospital to be under the watchful eye of Moat's animal care team to make sure that they are healthy and, and in good shape before being released back into the ocean. Moat is killing the game, y'all, saving these turtles and giving them a real chance at life. And I was just so excited to share a small part of that with y'all. You can make sure you're following Moat on Instagram and Facebook at Moat Marine Lab or visit their website at moat.org. And remember, friends, don't ride sea turtles. Oh, and also the word credits backwards is Stydirk. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.